Never giving you the written out outline ahead of time. Uh, ushers, can we have uh, some help getting those? I uh, hope we have some more left. I'm not sure that any of them are, are registering on that. Good, thank you, Dave. Hold your hand up, young people, especially any other teenagers who want to come down here and meet. You're welcome to do that right now. Make your way uh, right to uh, down front here. Studying through the book of Acts, as you know, and we're up to chapter 22. And the book of Acts is all about the activities of the first century church. And great use is made of God's people witnessing about what great things the Lord has done in their lives. A lost person might not believe the gospel message. A hard-hearted sinner may not want to submit to an invisible God, but it's nearly impossible to deny the power of a life-changing personal testimony. So we're considering that this evening, the power of your personal testimony. If you'd make your way to Acts chapter 22, you young people turning to Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 21, for a message titled, The Power of Your Personal Testimony. And as you're making your way to Acts chapter 22, I'll remind you that all testimonies of coming uh, to know Christ in a personal way will have the very same three points. And these points are given in this narrative in Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 21. And I want to ask you, ask you young people, if you have a genuine salvation testimony that you could, uh, if, if called upon, stand up and even articulate it, share it, even right now, has your life ever been radically changed as the Apostle Paul's was uh, in this text? Let's look at the text, Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 21. Now you remember picking up from this morning at the end of verse 40, and when there was great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew tongue saying, men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spoke in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept more quiet. And he saith, I am verily a man who is a Jew born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. And taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as you all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons, both men and women, as also the high priest, priest doth bear me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them who were there bound unto Jerusalem to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come near unto Damascus, about noon suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell into the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spoke to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews who dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee 
that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance and saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat uh, in every synagogue those that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment or the clothing of them that slew him. And he said unto me, depart, for I will send thee far from here unto the Gentiles. Second Corinthians 517 dogmatically states that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And part of that package is a powerful personal testimony. And so I ask you this evening, can you identify with the Apostle Paul um, and that you have that kind of personal salvation testimony that you can share and really no one can deny it because you know and others know how you were before salvation and they can see how you are now and what you believe. If not, if you're not sure about that, I would challenge you as Paul did the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 to examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. Does your life fit the biblical model of salvation? The first thought on your outline, as you can see it, is have you ever acknowledged a sinful background. Verses one through five, the apostle Paul did that as he was standing before the people, as he was standing before uh, these Roman uh, uh, centurions and the soldiers there and the people as he spoke to them, he was acknowledging a sinful background and all people except who are ever been born, except Jesus, of course, are born sinful. Well, um, I guess that's not true. Adam and Eve were created perfect and then they fell. And since then, everyone except Jesus himself were born sinful. Romans 5, 12 declares, for as one man sin entered the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for all have sinned. Uh, when, I, when a man was sharing the gospel with me, young people, when I was 19, 20 years old, it didn't take a lot um, to convince me that I was a sinner. I recognized that. All I had to do is even know one of the Ten Commandments, and I'm sure I would have been uh, convinced uh, immediately that I was guilty of breaking that. And so I ask you, have you acknowledged that you have a sinful background? And if so, it says there on your note there, uh, describe when and how. When was it that you came to that realization? I want you to actually write that down. I want you to actually take notes. Okay. I came to this realization. I just told you for me, it was when I was 19, 20 years old. Um, I came to that realization as a man was sharing uh, the Lord with me, as he was sharing um, that uh, the soul that sins, it shall die. And, uh, and for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I came to that in 1977. God brought me to that awareness of my depravity, of my lost condition, that I stood condemned before God. Has there ever been a time where you have really wrapped your arms around the truth? I am a sinner. I am uh, outside of God. I don't have a relationship. His his judgment, his condemnation hovers over me. I am lost and I am in need of help. When was that for you? You see, that is a critical point in the power of a personal testimony because without that point, there really isn't a salvation testimony. You must come to the point of recognizing you're dead before you can be resurrected to life. You must come to the point of recognizing you're blind before there's ever any hope of seeing. 
Write that down. When you acknowledged your sinful background. Now, there's two types of folks in the world, as you can see on your notes. There's people who are religious and lost. And I've shared this kind of a uh, thought with you before. And that was the Apostle Paul. He was a religious zealot. And before he came to know Christ, uh, he was known for persecuting the church. But he thought that he was doing God a favor. Uh, He thought that he was uh, fulfilling his religious duties. You'll look in Acts chapter 8 and in verse 3 when it was describing his life. It says that he went into places hailing, H-A-L-I-N-G, hailing men and women, meaning to dragging, dragging them out like a wild beast drags it, its prey. If a lion pounces on a, a small animal and gets its uh, uh, mouth, the grip around its throat and crushes the life out of that prey and then drags that prey off to consume it somewhere, that's the very word that is used. The, uh, po- uh, the Apostle Paul previously, Saul of Tarsus, would go in and to the homes uh, and the establishments of Christians and as it were, drag them out, beating them, persecuting them, thinking all the while that he was doing God a favor. In our day, there are religious folks who are not nearly so zealous, um, but um, still are thinking that they are uh, getting to heaven. They are uh, accepted by God because of all the good things that they do. Young people write down uh, this, this reference, Titus chapter three and verse five, and quote this one with me. You Awana children and you teenagers, if you know Titus three, five, say it with me out loud. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. Very good. Well, a lot of you all know that verse. It's not by anything good that I could ever offer. And so maybe you are in the one, the category uh, of the one who is religious and lost, or maybe You are in the category of someone who is wretched and lost. That is those who just live in an ungodly way, who live for self, who live for sin. And you go out of your way just to uh, to be a rebel. Now, it might be that you don't manifest it openly to the degree that you could. I mean, I I was in this category, but I I surely and certainly could have behaved a lot worse than I did. Uh, There were some things that I didn't do, uh, some places I didn't go because maybe I didn't want to get in trouble with the law or I wanted to appear that I was uh, uh, a pretty good uh, guy. But in my heart, of course, um, I was a rebel. I didn't have any pretense of serving the Lord. And those kinds of folks, um, you can share with them, you can share with them very effectively by uh, even quoting James chapter two and verse 10, which says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, that person is guilty of all of the law. And so just by virtue of even breaking the law one time, that person stands condemned. Which one are you? Are you point number one on under letter A or are you point number two? Are you someone who was religious? That is, you tried to, uh, uh, to be, uh, uh, keep your, uh, your nose clean, as it were, and, and really uh, put on a show? Or were you one who uh, did not care? Or maybe you're still in that category. Maybe you would say, um, that's who I am right now. I'm just pretending. I'm just kind of uh, uh, going through the motions. But God really does know your heart. And you know where you are tonight. Which one would you fit into? Would you say, I was religious, but I was lost, or I was in the gutter and I was lost? Put down which one you, uh, you would say that is part of your testimony and really uh, zero in and identify on that. Secondly, 
having acknowledged a sinful background, the apostle Paul experienced spiritual birth. Verses six through 16, he was born again. Uh, The Lord appeared to him. Uh, The Lord Jesus uh, basically knocked him down, knocked him off of his high horse. And this religious zealot was stopped right in his, his tracks. Notice he wasn't reformed. Young people, salvation is not reformation. It's regeneration. It's not, it's not propping up a, a, a decaying carcass, as it were. It's not trying to do better. It's regeneration. It's a brand new life. It must be a brand new life because that, that, that previous one was dead in trespasses and sins. And so it's not reformation. It's not trying to do better, put on a, a happy face, but try to just uh, do everything just like you're supposed to. And therefore, God will be pleased with you. No, not at all. Salvation is a new life. It's regeneration. Salvation isn't spiritual therapy. It's a heart transplant. It's a brand new life in him. And Jesus called it being born again. It's the new birth. And so on your notes here, did you experience a new birth? If you did, when was it really? When, when was it? And how did it happen? What were the details around it? What was going on in your life? Um, did, uh, did, uh, were you a young person? Were you, uh, uh, it was, was somebody with your family? Maybe it was in a Sunday school class or in a one or something like that. What was going on in your life when you experienced spiritual birth, when you were born again? Now there's three particular aspects of spiritual birth that I would think that you could identify with these. The first thing, and you see it in your notes, is that a sovereign work has taken place. That is, God has determined um, to touch your life. And we see that in verse six. And it came to pass that I was making my journey uh, about, uh, came near to Damascus. Suddenly there shone uh, 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 from heaven a, a great light round about me. In other words, just out of the blue, The spirit of God blows your way. And that's what John chapter three says. Uh, Jesus said uh, the spirit um, uh, basically, just like the wind, he blows upon the hearts of lost people according to his will. He does it sovereignly. Uh, Why he does it? Because he has decided to do it. He, um, he, uh, it pleased him. It was according to the good pleasure of his will and the sovereign work of God blows upon the hearts of lost people. And so young people, you can't take any credit for it. It's not because of you. It's not because of me. It's not even because of the one who shared with you. God simply used that person as an instrument to get your attention to the degree that Jesus said in John three and verse 13, I'm sorry, I think it's chapter one and verse 13. Those who are saved are born not of blood, That is, it's not a human relationship, nor of the will of the flesh. That is, you didn't make yourself desire him, nor of the will of man. Someone else didn't talk you into it. Those who are saved are born of God. Now, I developed a working definition of salvation. And uh, I want you all to to jot this down under um, it being a, a sovereign work of God. Salvation is... The gracious act of God, I wish I would have put on the overhead, I didn't. Salvation is the gracious act of God um, by, uh, by his spirit, the gracious act of God by his spirit in drawing, that is wooing or, or drawing toward, drawing a depraved death, a dead and doomed sinner to Jesus. Salvation is the gracious act of God by his spirit 
in drawing a depraved, dead, and doomed sinner to Jesus, semicolon, granting him repentance and faith so that he might see his need and the only remedy for his need. Salvation is the gracious act of God by his spirit in drawing a depraved, dead, and doomed sinner to Jesus, granting him repentance and faith so that he might see his need and the remedy, the only remedy for his need. I, I, I'm not saying that that is equivalent to uh, Spurgeon, but I think it communicates uh, the general idea of the work of God in salvation. Charles Wesley was so blown away by the sovereign work of God in salvation that he penned my favorite hymn and he wrote in the first verse, and can it be, it's like, can it really be? I'm not sure that I can, I can really take this in. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Why in the world do I care anything about what happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago by someone who died on a cross and, and shed his blood? Can it be that I would gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued. I'm the one who was pursuing him. I was chasing him to death. It was my sin that took him there. Can I really have gained an interest in that amazing love? How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? It's a sovereign work that the Lord determined. <clears throat> Explain in your own words what you understand that to mean. I hope you put down something to the effect of, I didn't do anything. I didn't deserve it. I didn't merit it. It's all of grace. It's all of the goodness of God that I even take my next breath. Secondly, in this experiencing this a spiritual birth, there was a saving word. That is a presentation of the gospel came out. Someone delivered the incorruptible seed. It must be broadcast and you're saved by the, the uh, receiving the incorruptible seed of the word of God. First Peter 1 23 uh, tells us young people, it's not deciding, well, I'm going to start doing better. I'm going to start going to church more regularly or I'm going to keep the golden rule or something. No, it is receiving. It's embracing the gospel. Uh, the Lord Jesus, the God man uh, coming into your life and for giving you and making you his own. Now, write down in your notes here, who shared with you? What was it that was shared? When was it? There, I mean, there, there, there has to be, I mean, when you got married, you know that you got married. You, uh, you might not know the exact time or the, the, the address of the church, I mean, but you were there, right? <laughs> if you got married, you were there. Well, if you were saved and someone shared the Lord with you, you ought to know who that is. You ought to generally know when it was and what the circumstance was and that kind of thing. Write that down. You see, you need a powerful personal testimony. The Apostle Paul didn't just start quoting uh, books of the Bible or start going through uh, uh, various uh, Old Testament uh, law. He gave his personal salvation testimony. There is power in knowing that you're saved, knowing why you're saved, when you were saved, and what the circumstances were, because that is irrefutable. Who shared with you? Thirdly, if you have experienced the new birth, there's going to be a submissive will. That is, 
the gospel was appropriated by the sinner. It was actually made real. The salvation track transaction took place. God changed a rebellious, sinful heart to one which longed for him. And in fact, you were convicted and you responded to him. You see, Christ doesn't drag uh, someone uh, into the kingdom against his or her will. You don't get saved if you don't want to. He changes your will. He changes your desire. You see, at one time you were, you were stiff-necked. You were rebellious uh, to the things of God. And he tapped you on the shoulder, showed you your need, showed you his mercy for you and what he wants to do in your life. And all of a sudden, through his work, your heart became uh, supple, that is ready to receive what he has for you. And so on there, write down what was your response? What happened? Did you, uh, did you pray a prayer? Did you uh, uh, struggle with this for a long time? Was it uh, something that took place uh, uh, the, the very first time you heard it? What was the general response from you. Now you ought to know what that was. There ought not be, be any uh, confusion. If you in fact have a salvation testimony, you ought to know that you have that testimony. Write that down. What took place um, when you in fact heard the gospel for the first time? And then finally, we see in verses 17 through 21, <clears throat> The idea of a submissive behavior. And that's not a repeat. That is not a repeat of the the one right above it. Because yes, uh, you did yield at the point of salvation. But now having received Christ and now being a believer, you will in fact be walking with him. You see, it's not a believer is not just one who feels bad about sin. Yes, that's true. You, you, you know when you sin and you're convicted about that. But a true believer not only uh, has an aversion to evil, what else does he have? He has a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. And so young people, does your heart long for God? That's as much evidence as you wanting to shun evil, but you desire Christ. You want to know him and follow him and, uh, and uh, honor him in your life. Is that true of your life that currently, right now, I have a spirit of, of yieldedness to him. My life is currently characterized by, not that you're perfect, not that you don't blow it, uh, maybe even regularly, but which direction is the passion of your heart? Is it, I'm going to serve self, I'm going to do my own thing, uh, and, and I, I might go through the motions and pretend, or is the passion of your heart, Lord, I want to follow you, I want to be yielded to you. That really is the desire in my life. Write down on that page which it is. You see, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, finish it for me. What? Keep my commandments. If you really love me, if you're genuine, if there has really been salvation, which has taken place, um, you will be characterized by a changed life, by radically altered uh, heart motivation. I tell you, at the point of salvation, not only uh, did I live differently, I thought differently. I had a different motivating thrust in my life. The motivating thrust in my life was no longer 
It's whatever I can get to make life more comfortable, easier, uh, to get ahead, to step over whoever or step on whoever I wanted to. That was the motivation before, but now the motivation is one of, Lord, I really do want your will. I really want honor to be brought to your name because I have learned that the only place of the only path of blessing is the path of of you being made large in and through my life uh, in the eyes of others. And so have you repented and turned in faith to Christ? And are you characterized by a lifestyle that is yielded to him? Write down on that letter C, how is your life currently characterized? Now, one more time, letter A, have you come to a point of recognizing you need salvation? Letter B, did that take place? Has that exchange uh, taken place, that transaction, you uh, uh, pouring your uh, sinful, depraved heart and turning that over to him and receiving his righteousness and that having taken place, let her see what is your lifestyle like now? How are you characterized? You see, these points are repeated time and time again in the book of Acts by the Apostle Paul and others as uh, the, uh, the, uh, key, the key aspects of salvation. My life before Christ, I got saved, and then since then, it has uh, remained, uh, I've remained uh, faithful to him. You see, true believers will persevere. They will stay with the stuff They're, because there's a new nature. You know, I have to respond. I have to follow the dictates of my heart. And if I have a new heart, I'm going to follow the dictates, the commands of that new heart. And that is to honor him. What about you? Do you have a new heart? And you can know that by how you are following him. There's a there's a song. Um, I don't know who first recorded it. But the words say, I am God's child. I stand here forgiven. My sins have been cast in the depth of the sea. I have been washed in the stream of salvation and I am free. What about you? I tell you, salvation isn't bondage. Salvation is liberty. Salvation is freedom from the yoke of bondage. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me for I am gentle. I am meek. I am lowly. In other words, I am not going to be some albatross around you, weighing you down because now you can't do your own thing. Well, a new life desires to ascend uh, to him. That is to, uh, to have a life, uh, a changed heart desires to uh, have a life that in fact honors him. What about you? <clears throat> Being here this evening, you've heard Paul's salvation testimony and it's powerful. I have alluded to mine. Um, maybe you know of other folks and you've heard about others. Maybe you've even thought that you've had one, but you're questioning it. You're not sure. After the service, if, if that is you, um, go up to uh, if you're a young person, go up to maybe your Sunday school teacher, somebody in the youth department. You can certainly uh, uh, talk to me. If uh, you're an adult, feel free to talk with me, grab me um, or someone else that you know. And just simply say, uh, I don't know. I really do not know. We just came through Judgment House. Are you ready to face eternity? Are you ready to face your final destination? 
The Apostle Paul was ready. He knew that there were probably thousands of folks listening to him and they were not ready. Are you ready? Do you have a powerful personal salvation testimony? Talk to somebody tonight who can share with you, pray with you, get with God if you do not have this nailed down with assurance in your heart. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. It is... uh,